Hello. <laughs> so we are having a summer in the Psalms, and today it's my turn to share with you a psalm that God has used various times over my life. So when I say the phrase, be still and know that I'm God, many of you probably recognize it. It's one of those scriptures that's been pulled out of the Bible and used in Christian culture fairly frequently. You might have gotten a card with it written on it or had a mug or a journal with it, those words printed on it. For me, in our house, it's on the wall in our living room on a small canvas that hangs above the doorway. When I see it, I often pause, take a deep breath, and reshift my focus from the details of the day-to-day back towards heaven, back to Jesus. And it serves as me as a good reminder. But it hasn't always been that way. For years, those words stirred something in my soul, a longing that I couldn't explain. But in my head, I wondered, what does that even mean? How do I even begin to do that? Be still and know sounded nice, but the practical doing side of me had no idea where to start. Being can feel like a pretty far stretch for the doing ones among us, which I tend to be. But God is faithful, and this journey with him is so amazing. And over the years of journeying with God in the scripture, I have learned a few things. So my hope for today is that I can share some of that journey with you in a way that encourages you along your own path with Jesus. So funny as this may sound, one of the first things that really made me experience these words differently was understanding the idea of biblical context. So they aren't just words that are quoted easily by pastors or in books that I read, and it's not even just a nice sentiment to hang on the wall. The words have come from somewhere. They've come out of something, and the words around them matter. The first time I found those familiar words, be still and know I'm God, within the Psalms that they come from, they painted a really vivid picture that made me stop in my tracks. So that's where we're going to start. So, as is our tradition here at Timbers, please rise for the reading of the word. We do this to honor God and to draw all of our attention and our focus onto the scriptures today. So, we're going to read Psalm 46. Now, I am fairly confident that my version is different. Yeah, it is. So, I am reading from the English Standard Version because it's the one I'm most comfortable with and I needed to be comfortable today. So, it'll be a little different, but that's okay. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to, to the, cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still 
and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm and all the other psalms. Thank you that we can join with so many people who have come before us and have read over these words and been encouraged, and your spirit has spoken through them. And I pray that you would do the same today for us, that your word would go out and that it would accomplish its purposes in each of our lives. We thank you for this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's some beautiful imagery in this psalm and uh, some, uh, some really interesting contrast. And the English lit student in me loves that. Um, we see some contrast throughout. So like the roaring seas with mountains collapsing into them, followed by the river whose streams make glad the city of God. They're two really different pictures. One feels like it represents the turmoil of the world, while the other is the dwelling place of God place we are welcomed into as God acts as our fortress and our refuge, our safe place, where the presence of God sustains us. I also love vivid language to the paint pictures, and this psalm paints a picture of turmoil and violence really quickly. So we have mountains trembling and falling into the sea, waters are roaring and swelling, nations are raging, kingdoms are tottering, the earth itself is melting. And the Lord is meeting the nations in their turmoil. As the earth rejects the darkness in the earth, we see God's force is mightier than everything, and he is causing the wars to cease. There's chariots burning, weapons are broken, and there is desolation left behind. So just for fun, I looked up what exactly I should expect when you see a word like desolation. It's a state of complete emptiness or destruction anguished misery. I can't help but read this, and I put myself into the middle of it. So I picture, picture all of this happening around you, and then put yourself standing in the middle. So on this side, I see the mountains falling. If there's mountains falling, the earth's quaking. So we've got some earthquakes happening. The seas are churning and crashing over the whole mess. And then on the other side, you have humanity at its worst. Sort of a cesspool of hatred and war and destruction. So for me, if even one of those things was happening around me, never mind all of it at once, I can't really imagine what I would actually be like. I can tell you I would probably not be very peaceful. I would probably be wondering how I was still alive, maybe trying to find somewhere to hide, scurrying to find the people I love, hopefully helping some people along the way. Knowing me, I might be organizing people into groups to do something that felt helpful. But if we are paying attention to the psalm, we quickly see that it's not about us at all. So this is where we find the command in this setting to be still and know that God is God. Couldn't we find this command in another psalm? Like maybe Psalm 23? You know, where you're laying in green pastures by still waters, your soul's at peace, and you're resting with a full belly? That feels way easier, but we don't. We find it right here in the middle of this tribulation, uncertainty, 
hardship, and unpredictability. We find it in a place of fear. There's a lot of activity happening in this psalm. So the earth is in uproar, the nations are warring and raging, and God is meeting the chaos. For those who make God their refuge, those who are in his kingdom of light, there are four commands for us, four things that God invites us into here in this psalm, and none of them have anything to do with doing and everything to do with being. In verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord. And a few lines later in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Come, behold, be still, know. So we're going to start with come. As I was thinking over this, the psalm up until this point has been about everything else. It's been about God. It's been about, you know, the earth and the nations. And, and then there's a turn towards us. And I can't help but feel that this word has more to do with getting my attention than it does with a call to action and move. It's more of a, hey, over here, look on up at me. It's okay. It seems to be, it's a, to me, it's about getting my eyes off of the details in front of me and instead looking up at the big picture of God at work. I think it has to do with my focus shifting. The command to behold emphasizes this. To behold something is an intentional choice to look and pause, to move from mere observation into a place of awe, to an inspired recognition of someone amazing. In this case, we are commanded to allow our attention to be grabbed by the one who made everything and knows everything and see the works that only God can carry out, the circumstances that only God can affect. We see that in the midst of this chaos, God is at work. He is not idle and uncaring. He is found in the middle of it all. Be still. So for a long time when I read this verse or saw it somewhere, I would always picture a completely still person with no physical movement whose focus was fully on God without distraction. This imaginary person could stay in this state with God for extended periods of time and they had reached a higher level of connection to God than I had. Now, if I'm honest... It left me feeling kind of hopeless and not quite good enough. Like I was doing something maybe not quite wrong, but not as good as I could be. If I could just be better about my devotions, more still, more peaceful, less distracted. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to sit down and will yourself into a peaceful state or an undistracted one, but sheer force of will doesn't usually work too well. At least it hasn't for me. And I do have a fairly healthy streak of stubborn, given the opportunity. So I would get stuck in this cycle. I would sit down, and I would try to be still and focused. And before I knew it, I had a to-do list going in my mind and simultaneously remembering the plot line from the movie I watched the night before. And I'd just shake that off with, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. And I would try again. And this cycle left me discouraged and asking, why am I even trying to connect with God in this way? I wondered if maybe it just wasn't for me. It was for those other people, you know, the ones who are better. I was missing something, and it's really easy to see how people decide to stop trying. But no matter how I felt about it, in the frustrated times, I would find myself coming back to these words, and I knew God was bringing me to them for a reason. 
that he had something in them for me. So a few years back, one of the moms from the moms group was putting on a worship dance class. There were a few people signed up, but there weren't enough to run the class, so it was going to be canceled. It was the first time that she had put herself out there like this since she started her family a number of years before. So a group of the moms, myself included, surprised her, and we signed up for the class so that it would run. Now, I should note that I have never taken a dance class. The closest I had come was doing some martial arts over the years, but I had maintained a pretty active lifestyle, and I enjoyed sports my whole life. So I thought, I can do this. I'll blend in with the other beginners, and it won't be a big deal. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I get to my first class, and we do a warm-up, which basically included like practicing walking with rhythm, and I'm also not musical, so I'm like, there's an eight count in music? I had no idea. So we, I learned to walk to an eight count or a four count, and uh, my friend says, okay, so... Each of you are going to take a turn coming up to the front by yourself and you're going to dance for two minutes and everyone else is going to copy your movements. Who's first? So I can tell you that I'm pretty sure some part of myself shriveled up and died right in that moment. I had been an interpretive dancer for 10 minutes and you want me to do what now? So I was trying to figure out how I was going to get out of this and save face at the same time. And the six minutes or so I had until someone picked me to go next, I didn't come up with anything. So I stood there in front of them all, and I had two choices. One was to literally sit down on the floor and cry, which is what I most felt like doing. And the other was to let go Start moving and just do it. And I did. I started to move around and I managed to get through the two minutes. I felt ridiculous and I probably looked it, but I didn't actually die. And that part of me that died inside probably needed to. So why do I share this now? Well, for, the mo for, for me, that moment was the beginning of learning to let go and be still. I know that that doesn't make sense because I was moving around. But I grew and I learned about worship through dance. The greatest discovery through that time in my life was that when my mind was focused on the Lord and my body was engaged, my soul was still. My franticness, the weight of the day's worries, the fear of unknown realities, the need to somehow feel good enough, it would lift off me and it would go out of my mind and it became about Jesus. As I shared this with other people about this experience that I was learning, I found that people could relate. I had one friend that when she played, she could play the piano well enough that she didn't really need to think about it. Her hands would move across the keys and her mind would be focused on the Lord and she would enter into a place of stillness. Others, it was painting or writing in their journal. For one friend, it's why she gardens. Pastor Andrew experiences this while hiking. So my stillest moment before the Lord began with worship dance. It was what showed me this place of worship and the stillness that can only be found in Jesus. 
It doesn't need to be dance. It could be many things. And as the Lord has continued to be faithful beyond measure, the lessons that I learned in dance have spilled over into other activities and times I spend with God. So some versions of the Bible will say, cease striving in place of be still. And again, I come back to it's less about the doing and actually about the being. Being who I am today. Imperfect, in progress, with a few wounds that I work way too hard at ignoring, taking all that makes up who I am and just letting God see me. And I know that God knows everything about me and he isn't surprised by my stuff, but something special happens when we invite him into the parts of ourselves that we think we keep hidden. And it is scary getting there. And it costs you something. But it is the safest place in the world. No. The word used in Hebrew here is yada. It's a word of intimacy and of relationship. It's a word of covenant. In Hebrew writing, to know something is different than to know someone. To know something is to have a knowledge and an understanding about it, to be aware of the details, to be able to explain it to someone. It's intellectual. To know someone is the knowing that comes from a relationship. Like you know your spouse, the parts of who they are that others who aren't as close don't get to see. How you know your family and the way they do things. How you know what they are going to do before they do it or how they'll react to a surprise you've planned. It's a knowing that comes from promise, from covenant. When we think of a marriage, your spouse is the first one you want to tell about the good things. And when things happen in your life that you don't understand or when you face hardship because of the promises you have with that person, you lean into relationship with them. You stay with it. That's the kind of knowing God invites us to here, to know who he is and have a relationship with him that points us to deep intimacy. We are invited to cultivate and grow intimacy with God. I believe that be still and know go together in a way that shouldn't be separated. Do you remember how I said I plunk myself in the middle of all that chaos that's going on? As I grew in being still and knowing God in relationship, my position in the psalm has changed. As I've explored and spent time with God in this be still and know way that I've been describing, I now read the psalm and I picture myself instead sitting with Jesus beside the river whose streams make glad the city of God. The more we each learn to trust God and recognize his sovereignty in the circumstances we face, we begin to know God in a way that makes our striving cease. And we instead run to God as our refuge. God becomes our home and his presence, the stream that brings us life. This psalm has been called a psalm of trust for the people. We need reminders all the time of where to place our trust, put our confidence and our faith I know there are times in life when I look around and nothing seems to be making sense. Life is not going the way I'd planned it to, and it may not look like it to others, but in my view, everything is in utter chaos. This is a place of choice. To move from striving to waiting, doing to being, and chaos to order in its time. And I know this psalm doesn't seem very orderly, but God is a God of order and not chaos. He brings order out of everything that he does. And so I think of it sort of like when I empty a closet or a shed and everything is everywhere for a while. 
but I'm slowly bringing order to the chaos. I kind of think of that's what God is doing in this psalm. He's unpacking everything, and he's working it all out. And the order is coming. When I look at this psalm as a whole, and I think about trust, it both makes perfect sense, and it demonstrates a great challenge. On the one hand, it's an amazing level of trust that we're invited into, to look around in the midst of terrifying desolation and just be able to stop having to do anything, and instead just have a place with God. But to place our trust in God and recognize the very little amount of control we actually have is challenging. I think it goes against our flesh nature. When I look at it in light of who God is and how amazing his power displayed here, is there really any question of where I should put my trust? Why would I want to place it in anyone or anything other than him? Certainly not the unpredictability of the earth or the selfish ambition of the nations as they rage against each other. And yet we do it all the time. So it makes perfect sense to trust God, but in order to trust, I have to admit that I don't have any control. And that's the place where we most often put our trust. We put it in ourselves. And God, in his amazing grace, he calls us back to him time and time again reminding us who he is and who we aren't. Or, sorry, who we are. <laughs> One better would be who we aren't. The great thing about the Psalms is that they are truth, and they teach us something, and they apply to all of us. We can put ourselves and our circumstances into the Psalms. Our stories fit into them. Of course, we aren't literally standing in the midst of earthquakes and hurricanes in our lives today. But those bills stacking up with no way to get them paid in time, that can feel like the earth trembling beneath our feet. The news from the doctor you got, or the sick loved one that you're watching slip away, that can feel like a raging sea you're standing on the shore of. The uncertainties of the future and the questions that keep you awake at night, those are your nations raging. And the Lord has got us in all of this. The first words in the psalm reassure us of our place with the Lord himself being our refuge and our strength. He's very present. He's a help. We have a place that God invites us into in the midst of turmoil, a place that brings refreshing to the soul, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So, where does your story fit? Where is God calling you to stop your striving and put your trust in him? Where is there swirling chaos that needs to, you to be still and to know the living God? Where in your life do you need to take your eyes off yourself and the circumstances around you and allow yourself instead to lock eyes with Jesus, even if just for a while? Where do you need to behold the works of the Lord? I'm going to call the worship team back up. And we're going to do our closing song. Um, and while they come, I want to encourage you to lock eyes with Jesus today. To look up from your details and to know the living God. 
If God has brought something to your mind that he's asking you to either commit to him or to surrender to him, take some time and do that. And I'm sure there's a few elders around who would pray with you if you wanted to come to the front, and I know I sure would. So yeah, that's the place I'm going to invite you into. <laughs>